Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show. Today is Tuesday, December 13th, 2022. I'm gold bricking today. So the day before, I made sure I got a chance to talk to my friend Andrew Malcolm, the prince of Twitter, the regent of redstate.com, and uh, and my goodness, uh, also apparently not in control of my apps. <laughs> It's not even the 13th yet, and I'm already having problems, Andrew. <laughs> That's okay, Ed. I think um, the high professionalism overwhelms any technical oh, yeah. glitches. Oh, yeah. That's that's a hallmark of this show. <laughs> professionalism and, uh, and, uh, and, and a lack of... Uh, it's the content. Poopers, right? It's the con. It's the content, Ed. We don't wear makeup either. It's uh, it's the content. Well, speak for yourself, pal. This is me made up. You should see me when I don't have my makeup. Oh, uh, all right. Do you remember bloopers? Do you remember? remember oh what? yes, I love them. Was it, yeah, I for Kermit something or other the guy that collected all those. Some of them. Yes. Were, some yes. of them were a little sketchy. I think. I think some of them he kind of tried to recreate, and it turned out didn't happen in the first place. Um, but they were fun. Well, no. the president of the United States, Hubert Heaver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the my uh, my godparents had that record, and we went there every Thanksgiving, and they played it. And I broke. I was a little kid, of course, so I broke up when he said, "Ladies and gentlemen, now Mr. Eddie Playbuddy will now pee for you." And I, I would lose it every single time picturing the guy coming on the stage. I, I just, anyway, those yeah. were those were great. And Spike Jones records too. Oh, I love Spike Jones records. Spike Jones records were a lot of fun. Yeah, those were obviously those were obviously put ons. The the ones of the, the the guy who used to collect the the blue person. I can't remember his last name. Kermit something or other. Yes, that's a very good memory. I wouldn't have remembered that. Yeah, well, you know, trivia. I got lots of room for trivia. Nothing, you know, couldn't tell you what, what I'm supposed to be doing later this afternoon, but I, I remember <laughs> that this, his name was Kermit. At any rate, you've got a great memory for basically everything. We always love to talk about your columns. Um, and uh, you got two VIP entries for this week already. Um, you've got Donald Trump's in the 2024 race, but is he there to win or just your cheers? And I think that this is really going to be the question, right, as we're rolling into 2024, yeah. as to what it is that Donald Trump intends to do. And it's almost kind of like, well, we're back to 2011. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, in many ways. It's always the question with Donald Trump, right? You just, I mean, in 2011, we thought he got in to promote, you know, to get another couple seasons out of out of The Apprentice, and he did. We thought he was going to try to do the same thing in 2015, and then we found out he was going to take it seriously. Um, I think he's taking it seriously now, but what is your take on this? Well, I was taking it seriously, but he's consistently doing all the wrong things if he really wants to uh, get the nomination and win the presidency. Um, having dinner with the ultra-right guy, um, not apologizing. Um, um, the um, calling for the suspension of the Constitution, that, that was just bizarre. Um, 
he's got a major fundraising and merchandising operation going with him and his packs. I got on a whole bunch of their lists and I, I pro Ed, this is no exaggeration. I probably get uh, 20 or 25 pleas every day for money to buy something, to buy bricks on an honor wall, to buy membership in the Trump um, mega club. Uh, it, it's uh, he's really, he's really milking it, which um, now that he's a candidate, uh, there are limits on on what um, on how he can spend it. Right. He raised what over a hundred million or one hundred and fifty million. I think it was one hundred and fifty million. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, he didn't spend much on other candidates, which is technically what PACs are to do. Um, and when he was fundraising for Herschel Walker. Uh, he said he was fundraising for Herschel Walker, but uh, only ten percent of any donation under yeah. that that account went to Herschel Walker. Ninety percent Trump kept. So um, he's a businessman, and and that that worked out well when he was running uh, running the government. But um, there's there, and I go through a long list in the column. There there there's just ample evidence that. Um, he says he's serious, but that he's not serious. You know, I mean, he's attacking the Republicans. He's going to need uh, Mitch McConnell, who got him his his uh, conservative Supreme Court. He's going after Mitch McConnell, uh, going after uh, Ron DeSantis, whom who calls Trump his mentor. Right. Um, uh, you know, you could claim credit for helping to put such a great conservative in power in Florida where you've chosen to live. But instead he's, he's, he's going after him, calling Republicans names and not really doing that much against Biden. He, there's so much ammo that he could use against Biden, but he's just not doing it. So the question, he may change his mind uh, or whatever. The question is, how serious is he? about wanting to win. He's very serious about wanting to be in. He loves the attention, craves the attention. The media loves giving him that attention because they make big bucks off it. Yep. You know, okay, so a couple of thoughts on this. Um, first off, I just to clarify the point on the fundraising, you know, Donald Trump's pack wasn't the only one doing that. Practically everybody who was in that space in the runoff started off with a you know, 90, 10 split for themselves while they're supposedly, you know, fundraising for Herschel Walker and Herschel Walker's campaign blew the whistle on that. Yeah. And a bunch of but them. They're not running for president. Yeah. No, right. no, no. Right. Exactly. Um, and, and I actually kind of tend to think that he might have declared in a, an attempt to sort of head off a department of justice indictment because, you know, they appointed a special counsel. I think the special counsel was appointed shortly after the announcement. And the DOJ sort of said, well, he's in the race now, so we're going to we're going to make sure that we don't have this going on. But I mean, they're, they're yeah. spending a lot of money on that special counsel. My, you know, generally speaking, special counsels don't do deadly. Yeah, yeah, I I was trying to I was trying to edit my uh, <laughs> I was trying to edit my epithet there. Um Trying to keep us a family podcast that they don't do. Much. <laughs> Andrew's got the right word. They don't do much. Um, but just the same, he's probably worried about 
you know, facing an indictment sometime in the next few months. And I think but that's very expensive. Question. I mean, it's, it's very, first of all, it puts limits on how he can spend the money that he's raised. And two, uh, the RNC had to stop paying his millions of dollars in um, legal bills. So, yeah, that, that's an expensive decision he made. But one of the things that he can spend it on is lawyers. Yeah. Well, and although the RNC was kind of footing the bills for the lawyers until he declared. So that, again, that's what I said. Yeah, he, they were footing it. Rona McDonald to talk about loyalty. That, yeah, was, well, that, was, I, that was millions of dollars. Yeah, I, I think that that was more or less. Uh, I'll tell you what I think it was. I think the RNC was trying to convince Donald Trump not to run and they were paying his attorney's bills, basically a sort of um, uh, data geld. Yeah. I, I was saying, hey, look, we're paying your we're paying your legal bills while we're doing that. You can't run for office, <laughs> hoping that maybe he would just consider that a fair trade and walk away. Um, but yes, that's um, that that's I, I got to say that the whole thing here is kind of strange announcing early yes. and then not really having a plan after that. I mean, there's there's yeah. no and he's still still plan. talking about 2020. Well, that's, um, that and you know, last week there were um, was a couple of um, uh, conservative evangelical groups which said, "Well, they kind of thought we should move on from Trump." So that that was the rock bed, concrete reinforcing rods of his base, um, and he's still, you know, he's still the most popular, uh, but he's not as popular as he was. And the trending is is down. I don't know if it's down fast enough to to feed him, but uh, he uh, he. Um, well, he's I think not, the he's not what he used to be. Yeah, I think Especially the when there's really an alternative. Yeah, right. I mean, I think the midterms really damaged him, right? Yes. And it, it's it's the third successive election cycle in which Donald Trump arguably lost. Right, lost the midterms. Now that was a fairly normal midterm correction. A little strenuous, but not way out of range, right? So you could just say, hey, look, this is just a midterm correction, especially for a president who is unpopular, personally unpopular, as Donald Trump was at the time, plus coming off the two years of Russia gate and all that kind of stuff, which turned out to be nonsense. Um, that's probably an expected outcome. It wasn't unusual. Uh, but then he lost in 2020. And then practically everybody he recruited that he yeah. himself recruited in this cycle, either lost or significantly under, underperformed like J.D. Vance in, in Ohio. Um, and they lost winnable races. And the reason why is because these candidates all wanted to talk about Donald Trump in the 2020 election. And voters, as it turns out, don't care about that. And I think that this is the this is an inflection point of sorts, or at least it might be. Because I think that there was a... There was a sense of the fact that Donald Trump may have been may have had his finger on the pulse of the electorate more than anybody else did, at least in the GOP. And now that he's lost, his candidates have lost and they lost winnable elections. I think that there is now a, a very definable uh, Trump handicap on the Republican Party in these races. And so there's going to be a. Uh, you know, a, a calculation here. Do you yeah. keep looking to the past or do you move forward, especially if Joe Biden's running again? 
doesn't it make more sense to have a younger, fresher candidate in there against them? Yeah. Rather younger, than younger is uh, younger is very appealing. Uh, yep. DeSantis, if he gets in, it's he's forty four <laughs> versus seventy eight in twenty two. So, which was the age that Biden ran, and everybody said was so old. Um, every day, Biden becomes the oldest president. Um, if if Trump. Um, if he could suppress the ego a little bit, I know that's hard, but if he could, he could say, you know, remember all the things I said I was going to do in 2016 that I did do, unlike most people who get in? Crush ISIS, energy self-sufficiency, create jobs. Uh, and on and on, and fill up the strategic petroleum reserve, and on and on, the, the thing that raise the military pay, cut taxes, deregulation. Uh, you know, if he focused on these, he's got a stellar record, policy record as right. president. But if he could just um, stop tripping over his own feet here, uh, you know, he did that a lot when he was president. They would have the message of the week and he would go out and start another message. Um, and right. that that doesn't that doesn't pay off. You have to have the discipline. And um, he said all the right things and he delivered. Uh, you know, he, uh, 17 Republican candidates, only one, the rich billionaire guy from Park Avenue. Um was the only one to tap in to detect and then to tap into the anger and frustration of the heartland over the establishments of both parties in Washington. You right. know, I mean, that for a rookie politician to pick that up and, and he ran with it and then he delivered, unlike most who get in. So he's got something to run on if he could just get some more self discipline. Uh, I, I think you're right. Uh, there's a sense that it's time to move on. We want some younger people. And 78 versus 82 uh, is not much of a youth ticket. No, it's not. And so this is the part where Andrew and I really speak to our own demographic, which is, of course, the younger voters in America. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we're, we're those two Muppets. That us sit kids, up, uh, yeah. We're the two Muppets that sit up on the in the balcony and 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 make wisecracks down at the stage. <laughs> Literally, I was I was I actually have a picture of this and I keep meaning to send it to you and I forget. I was uh, at um, uh, Disney World right uh, a couple months ago, end of October. At, at what? And I went to the, I went to the Muppet Theater that they've got there. Oh, and I got a picture of the two, you know, Statler and oh. Walton. I got to send it over to you. We got to use it. We got to use it for our show sometime. Yeah, we, we we need to get a balcony and get up there and do our thing. We do. We do. Maybe we'll maybe if maybe if if I end up going to CPAC, I know you're going. If we end up if, yeah. if I end up going to CPAC, we can get uh, Salem to arrange a balcony set and we can <laughs> do a show from there. Um, but um, yeah, so let's speak to the younger voters because the Associated Press this morning, they had an analysis out this morning saying that younger voters actually have started to leak away a bit from Democrats, not not a majority. Democrats still want a majority of the youth vote in the midterms, but it's down. It's down fairly significantly from the 2020 election. It's down even more significantly from 2018. 
and the Associated Press, I think, correctly says this should be a worry for Democrats because they rely on the youth vote, not just for the vote itself, but also for organizing. And I also say that this should be a warning to Republicans that for the, on the same exact thing is that both parties, the, the ruling clique of both parties has been a gerontocracy now for a while. I mean, what was it? I said, I, 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 I'm trying to remember how I put this in the post is that both parties are hanging on to their boomer set uh, more tightly than Warren Beatty grabbed onto Natalie Wood in that movie that none of the young voters that we're talking about right now would even know what, <laughs> what the title is. And it was well, actually came out before I was born, a couple of years before I was really? born. Splendor in the Grass? Yeah, 1960. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm a little younger than you think I am. Not by, not by much, but I'm a little younger than you think I am. But yeah, well, I mean... Uh, I mean, uh, Natalie Wood, uh, she was my celebrity crush for a long time. Oh, well, how could she not be? Even, yeah. if, even in retrospect, I mean, you know, when you're watching these old films, Natalie Wood, Doris Day, I mean, I, you know, I had a sort of a retroactive crush on, on Doris Day. I ended up writing about it when she passed away a couple of years ago um, because it was crushing to see to see that. And, she, oh, and Annette Funicello. Annette Funicello is another one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that was so, uh, my my best childhood friend and I, we would always argue over who who Annette really loved, and she'd never met either one of us. Um, yeah, it, it's. Uh, and I think this whole the conversation disqualifies us from running for yeah. <laughs> running for office because well, if we're the, look, we would be the problem. <laughs> we have we had uh, for the rest of this term, we've got three Democrat House leaders, all in uh, uh, in their eighties. Right. Uh, Schumer is in his 70s. Of course, Diane Feinstein is what, 89? Um, yeah, Chuck Grassley's up there, too. Yeah, um, yeah. uh, it's, uh, and Republicans have been, um, have been um, successful in bringing along governors. Obviously, not Bill Clinton, but uh, George H. W., or George W. Bush. Uh, Republicans like and Ronald Reagan. Republicans like executives for their candidates. Um, Democrats they go for Congress, and I think that's pretty boring. Uh, whether it's John Kerry and John Edwards and and uh, Barack Obama and Kamala Harris and Joe Biden and yada 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 and Walter Mondale, um, it's um, and and it it hasn't worked that much for them you know since um since i think it's 1928 democrats have picked the senator uh with one exception um as their vice presidential candidate <laughs> yeah because yeah. they don't have governors <laughs> they don't have yeah. all- and, oh, and especially since 2010 where yeah. they a thousand of them got wiped out at the state level these weren't governors but these were rising stars and their political careers got terminated. Uh, so there's a big gap there and coming along. I think Democrats have only recovered two or 300 of the thousand seats they lost. So um, they, um, they lost some real farm team members. Well, and, and again, I, I think that this is a warning for both parties. And you've mentioned both parties. But I think that the problem for Democrats is that they're... <laughs> 
they don't have much of a choice. Joe Biden is clearly planning on running for a second term in office. It looks like he's clearing the field out that he's not going to get a serious challenge. Gavin Newsom's already said he won't he won't run. Even if Biden doesn't run, he's not going to run in 20, uh, 2024, although I kind of doubt that's the case. If Biden said, you know, on second thought, I'm out. Um, or Kamala if, he Harris would if, run, he, if he gets if he gets ill, you know, he gets Ill or something like that. Right. Um, but he's had two brain aneurysms. Those are nearly fatal. They are, but the, but they were decades ago too. So I mean, that seems like it's a relatively stable issue for him. The the um, so they're stuck with him. They're stuck with the eighty two year old guy by the time it rolls actually around to the uh, general election. But Republicans aren't stuck with the seventy eight year old guy, right? Right, uh, right. They have other options, and I think that it's it would be very smart to look to. Maybe not the next generation, but the generation after that. Ron DeSantis is really a Gen X guy. He's not even a boomer, right? Uh, Glenn Youngkin's more of a boomer. Um, I mean, I'm technically a boomer, but um, but I'm on the I'm on you the look, you, look, you look so normal. <laughs> I always thought that I wasn't a boomer, and then I found out what the actual definition of it was. It's like, damn it. <laughs> I can't keep track of those those uh, those things. I know I was before the just before the baby boom, so I don't know what the heck I am. I'm a pre- I identify as the greatest generation. That's what I say. If we can, just yeah, identify, yeah. I Damn identify right. as the greatest Damn generation. Right. I would I would actually not do that. Because I was a year old on D Day, but by golly, I was there for them. Yeah, those guys. Those guys earned it. I'm not gonna. I'm. I am not about to try to take. Uh, to, to join that club. Uh, those guys earned it. Um, but so they have an opportunity. And the question is, is whether or not the primaries are going to be set up to, to realize that and whether or not Donald Trump is really seriously going to run, or if he's just trying to um, negotiate an outcome other than the nomination. I think he really does want to run though. I mean, I think he really feels that that's the only way he's ever going to get vindicated now um, from 2020 but I just think that he is um, there's there's fewer people around him to guide him on how to do this because he's not the newbie anymore. I think he may have been a little bit more open to advice than he is now after having been president for four years. And I think what you're seeing is really the id released here. <laughs> and yeah. it's really not going to play well. Uh, no. The question is what happens if he doesn't win it? Does he does he oh, take a go down, ball to go, whoever does go? You go down the toilet. I, I mean, if there there's a competition and right now, I think things could change. But right now, um, he's got the support of more Republicans than anybody else. Now, it appears to be waning, but um, he needs to compete just like everybody else. He, he right. if, if he thought by coming in early, he'd clear the field, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. It's, it's not going to happen because I think this is Ron DeSantis's moment. He'll be in the second half of his second term or first half of his second term. He's got tons of money in the bank too. He raised close to a hundred million dollars. Um, he spent money on some candidates, but he also conserved quite a bit of it. He actually raised, if I remember correctly, I think he raised over $200 million. He's just, he, he has like something like 90 plus million in the bank left. So oh. 
he's very successful at fundraising. And of course, he's just off of that dramatically good uh, uh, election win in Florida. And you don't get to 19 points in Florida simply by appealing to the base. This is no. a guy who knows how to appeal across the base. And this is, I mean, this, this, we were having this conversation. I was having this conversation with some friends earlier today, which is that you had too many people who were running for office in this midterm, most of whom were Donald Trump's recruits, who were really just focused on a base election. Um, and those don't generally work. No, no. They don't generally work. You have to find a way to appeal. And, and Trump figured that out in 2016, but he's never figured it out since, which is that he appealed to this massive nonpartisan, bipartisan, if you will, working class um, group that had been overlooked by the free traders, had been overlooked by the academics, had been overlooked by everybody. He he spoke to them. You yep. still have to have people who can do that. Ron and, then, and then he delivered. That's and he the delivered. thing that gets me. You know, the, a lot of these guys go to Washington and they kind of, well, things have changed and they and they waffle on their commitments, but he delivered. And I think that's one of the major reasons that his base has been so stubbornly loyal. Yeah. No, no I think uh, you're correct about that. I think you're correct about that. We got a couple of minutes left. I got to ask you about what you think about the Twitter files so far. You are oh, the prince of Twitter. It's fascinating. You know, I, I, I love these mavericks in American public life. Uh, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Henry Ford or uh, Lee Iacocca and, and um Oh, who's the guy that, what, I uh, forget his name now, the guy that ran against Bush in 92. Oh, uh, Perot. Ross, yeah, Ross Perot. Perot. You know, one quick story on that. One day I was at work. Uh, I had I had written a reconstruction uh, of the Panama invasion and how all eight, I think it was, Americans had died and mm -hmm. their backgrounds and their backgrounds for the New York Times. And I was sitting at my desk, the phone rang, I picked it up, and I said, uh, Mr. Malcolm? <laughs> and I said, yes, it's Ross Perot. And I looked around to see who in the newsroom was, <laughs> was, who was, who was pranking me, but it really was Ross Perot. We had a wonderful conversation. And he just wanted to praise uh, the, um, to praise the article. And he wanted to get uh, 200 extra copies to send the members of all the families involved. And, uh, and, and then we got to talking then, and in a subsequent call, and he was telling me all kinds of things uh, uh, that, that, he, that he'd done. And it, it was off the record at the time, but since he passed, it's, it's, it's not relevant anymore. But um you know, when he was down, he'd go to the burn center, uh, the military burn center. He would go into the guys who were wounded and recovering, not just the burn center, but uh, from all of our escapades abroad. And right. he would tell them, you know, uh, look, you just focus on getting better. That's your job. Here's my card. I guarantee you a job when you come out. Oh, wow. Flat flat and he would guarantee all these wounded guys so they got they got to really like him and so when he was leaving the ward he would turn around and he'd say uh so is there anything else i could do for you guys and uh, one of the guys yelled and said yeah get some women down here and uh so he went back to dallas and he called up his buddy 
Jerry Jones, and they got the plane, uh, Jones's plane, and the Dallas cheerleaders, and they went down to the hospital ward, and the women went all around posing for pictures with with all the wounded soldiers, um, and uh, on the condition that there be no press. So um, I, I love these Mavericks, and therefore I love Elon Musk. I, I love to watch what he's doing. I got to tell you, I was a, I was around when uh, General Motors bought Hughes Aircraft. I was working at Hughes Aircraft at the time. Oh, and, and I don't know. And Ross Perot was on the board at the time. And at the same time, we're roughly in the same time period. Of course, it's like 36 years ago. So I, I may have the times off just a little bit. But Perot was part of General Motors when when they acquired Hughes Aircraft and apparently created a huge rift because they had just bought EDS, which was Perot's outfit, yeah. which had all the electronics, you know, patents and everything that, that a car maker would need. For some reason, General Motors decided that they needed to buy Hughes Aircraft for its electronics thing. <laughs> I was like, what? Uh -huh. uh, but there was a story that was going around at the time. I'm not sure if it was apocryphal or not, but this was a story that was being told at the time, which was that Perot had joined the board as part of the consequences of the, of the, um, wasn't a merger. I think they actually bought EDS from Perot, uh, you know, in exchange for all sorts yeah. of you know, GM stock yeah. and all sorts of other yeah. considerations. But then he was on the board because he had all the stock. And board members got apparently got a brand new car every six months, <laughs> which was a nice perk, right? You yeah. know, they would trade in the one, they get another one. You know? And so when they did that, the board members would just simply go send an order over to the factory you know, in Detroit, this all in Detroit and say, this is what I want. This is the, this is the GM model make, you know, trim package, yeah, right. and, you know, all of the, with all of the different options that they wanted on that. And they would deliver it to corporate headquarters and everybody knew damn well who that car was being made for. So they made sure it was, you know, everything was primo. Well, apparently, and again, this is many years ago. So I'm, I, I couldn't even give you the provenance of this story. Um, but apparently, Perot decided that he was a little bit more interested in what the actual customers were getting <laughs> rather than what was being built for him. So he would go around to, in the short time he was there, he would go to a dealership someplace, right? He'd just go there and he'd go on the lot, look for the car that he wanted, and then he would give his card to the... Um, to the dealer and said, I'm H. Ross Perot. I'm a member of the board. Take this car and send it to yeah. have it shipped to Detroit. <laughs> so he was getting the stuff that the customers were actually buying. <laughs> and in the board meetings, apparently these guys were talking about their cars. Oh, you know, we're quality is job one. Oh, that was a Ford thing, but you know, you know GM yeah, yeah. quality yeah. campaigns and stuff like that too. That's <laughs> probably would open up a list of all the things that was wrong with his car. <laughs> Oh, this that is sounds the, like him. This is what it, it does, right? It sounds like authentic um, Ross Perot. And I think this may have come out during the presidential campaign in 92. Um, I think that may have been when the story came out, but I believe I heard it while I was still at Hughes Aircraft and I left there. And well, I was asked to leave in 1988, got laid off in 1988. Um, and, um, and so apparently that type of, management style didn't sit well with the GM board. You know, this is the days of Roger yeah. Smith. 
right? Yeah. And they spent $750 million, which was a lot of money even then. It's still a lot of money now, but it was a lot more money then to buy him out, to buy oh, back no. all the stock that they had paid him because they wanted to get him out of the company because he was oh. the wall. Huh. I'll be done. That's, well, I believe that's, that. Yeah, that's the story I heard, and that's the reason why he was cash flush in '92 and decided to put it to use in a presidential campaign. I and, love, stuff uh, like, I love oh stories like that. I, I mean, I, I, I'm just telling you that's the story that I heard, and I'm going to tell. Well, I think you should stick this. to it. Yeah, I mean, take it with a grain of salt. If anybody can corroborate that, I'd be, I'd love to hear. Well, from that's you. the kind of you know. I had a, I had a friend when we lived in Connecticut. I had a friend who worked for EDS. And uh, they had a big sales, or a, I don't know what it was, some kind of a meeting. So everybody flew down wherever they were meeting and somewhere in the South. And his wife got a phone call on the Saturday afternoon, and it was Ross Perot himself, who was calling all the wives or the spouses of people who had been summoned to the meeting to apologize, but to say how much he appreciated the work that uh, their spouse was doing for the company. And uh, a bouquet would arrive soon after. I mean, that's a way to generate real loyalty. It is. It is. And I wasn't really a big fan of Perot, politically speaking. But <laughs> I'm like you. I kind of really appreciate the mavericks of life. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in, in Especially in corporate America. And um, so, yeah. All right. You know, the, the equivalent in Japan was Soichiro Honda, who in... He, yeah. Started out making motorbikes for World War II, but he got into the car business. Now, I inter spent a day with him, interviewed him, um, and he, unlike any other Japanese man, he wore red socks every day. <laughs> 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 and he was the same sort of thing. He never drove a Honda. He was always driving Nissans and the opposition so he could figure out what were they doing he wanted to copy or make better, and what were they doing that was wrong. Yeah, um, I love guys like that. I and mean, that's very rare in Japan. Yes. Well, it's kind of rare here too. So we're just about out of time. Um, okay. So we do need to get the jokes of the week. Well, the okay. Way, I got some. They're all. Before we go there though, I do have to mention that this is probably going to be our last uh, podcast of the year because our podcast producers are all going to be, <laughs> they're all taking a break over Christmas. So we'll probably come back after the first of the year. So Okay. This is got we gotta we gotta wish each other a merry okay, Christmas. Okay, well in that case maybe I'll do four. But there you go. uh so Conan, these are old ones. Conan says there's a rare 1860 envelope from the first day of the Pony Express and was sold for nearly a half million dollars. The envelope contains an invitation to Larry King's bar mitzvah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to uh, say that or, or uh, Keith Richards is Briss. I, I mean, yeah, I don't know what yeah, might have right, been. Yeah. Right. Um, and um, Conan also said the highest paid reality stars are Kim Kardashian at $6 million and Jersey Shore's The Situation at $5 million. Let this be a lesson, kids. Stay out of school. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Jimmy Fallon, he said, did you know there are now 20 million people in America who do yoga? 20 million, none of whom ever shut up about it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. um, 
And then finally, this this reminded me of Megan uh, Markle or Megan. Yeah, Megan Markle. Yeah, Prince Meg Harry, former Prince Harry, Harry, formerly known as the Prince. Um, he said, uh, Conan said that Kim Kardashian waited until today to reveal her new baby's name. Reporters asked her why the delay, and she said, well, we're very private people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was a Babylon yeah. Bee headline over the weekend was <clears throat> uh, Harry and Meghan sell a Netflix special on how much they want to be living in private. Yeah. Yeah. How you should stay out of their lives. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Our se it's our seven-part series saying how much you should stay out of our lives. <laughs> Jeez. Complete, with home, complete with home movies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, that is the Christmas gift that keeps, that keeps giving. But you are also the gift that keeps on giving every single day of the year. The Prince of Twitter, the Regent of Red State. Merry Christmas to you and a Happy New Year. Merry Real. Christmas to you and everybody, uh, all of our loyal listeners and even the newbies. And Happy New Year to everybody. You too, Ed, and uh, your lovely missus. We'll see you in the new year. See you on the flip side where uh, we'll continue to represent the youth vote in the podcasting <laughs> environment. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you say? I can't hear you, Ed. What'd yeah. you say? What was that? I'm a little deep in that ear. Uh, <laughs> All right, Andrew Malcolm at A.H. Malcolm on Twitter. Be sure to follow him there. Stay tuned for one last message from the Ed Morrissey Show in this episode. Thanks for watching and listening to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. I just want to drop you a note to remind you that we are still going into 2024 with guns blazing, if you will, and with all sorts of momentum uh, going towards Republicans, even after a disappointing midterm cycle, there is plenty of reason to be hopeful about what's coming up in 2024. There is also plenty of reason to worry about the impact that big tech and government agencies like DHS are going to have on the political debate, especially on big social media platforms. That's why it is still more important than ever to support uh, hot air and our other town hall properties by becoming a VIP or a VIP gold member. Now, being a VIP member or VIP gold member <clears throat> means that you can comment on the posts and the comment sections are getting very lively. Great comment sections. We're really getting a good commentary out there in the, in the com boxes. But you also get exclusive content such as Dwayne Patterson's twice-weekly columns, Tom Jackson's twice-weekly columns from Florida, which is going to be a key uh, battleground in 2024 and a key indicator, especially if Ron DeSantis does get into the race, as we expect, of where the Republican Party is going to go. We've got... The Amiable Skeptics with Adam Baldwin and I, twice weekly, two episodes a week, uh, our video presentation exclusive for VIP members. Plus, we have the VIP Gold Chat with Cam Edwards of BearingArms.com. It's the most fun hour of the week. And I can tell you that both Cam and I will 
every single time make that claim. The most fun hour of the week and our VIP gold members get a chance to participate in it by putting in their comments and questions and we respond directly to those. In fact, that's the entire reason for having that one hour chat on Wednesdays at 1.30 Eastern time. Uh, if you're a VIP or VIP gold member, you can uh, you can be part of that and you can use the promo code Save America, Save America, and get a 25% discount off of VIP and VIP Gold membership. So be sure to do that. Thanks for your time. Thanks for watching The Ed Morrissey Show.